0: From Dirty Spoon Media in Asheville, you're listening to Home Fried, stories to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm Jonathan Ammons. The Boston area is taking this pandemic fairly seriously, arguably a little late. They issued a mask order with a fine of $300 for noncompliance at the beginning of the month. But Boston has over 17,000 cases in Suffolk County, with 838 deaths confirmed. While just across the river in Cambridge, Middlesex County is showing 20,000 infections. That's 17% of the city's population, with a staggering 1,500 deaths. A report from WBUR in Boston found that one in 10 of those sampled displayed antibodies of the virus. While some may hear that and cry, herd immunity, it is important to remember that herd immunity doesn't really start to work until you have upwards of 70% of your population swimming with antibodies. And with a virus as infectious and unpredictable as this one, to get an antibody rate that high, the casualty rate would be devastating to a city or town. To find some perspective on the scene in the Boston-Cambridge area, we reached out to Anna Nguyen. We know Anna here at the Dirty Spoon because she actually did a really brilliant profile and interview with Chris Scott from the show Top Chef for our second season. But she recently accepted a research visiting fellowship at Harvard and relocated from where she had studied in Montreal to the Cambridge area. She's the editor of Crust, and a lot of her work focuses on the techno-scientific representations of food in modern society. I wanted to know how she was handling this crisis in a new community.
1: I'm not sure where, how to begin this discussion, because um, one monumental day that stood out for me was um, on March 10. I had given a presentation at Harvard, and I was really excited for the next day because my mother was supposed to fly in to visit me. Yeah. Um, she had been living in Delaware, but um, on that fateful day on March 10, um, our governor in Massachusetts declared a state of emergency because of COVID. And um, so my mother and I had been planning this trip for a long time because she rarely sees me because she has different priorities and her travel plans are different. Right. But um, when, when we received that message, I think it was sometime in the afternoon, that I called my mom and said, you know, maybe we should just cancel your trip because I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know if it's safe for you to travel. Yeah. But these were discussions the that she and I had been having because COVID started sometime in February. Yeah. And we were we were oscillating: should she go? Should she stay? And you know, there were there was at that time there was not a lot of news, so I thought, you know, if anything, you could just stay with us. Yeah. We, we we would just deal from deal from there. But, um, so that changed everything and, and that's kind of been indicative after March 9th, it's become indicative of kind of waiting with dread what's going to happen next. Right. Um, but I think that just kind of captures what I've been going through. It's just, I've been waiting at home. I, my part-time gig at a library got furloughed. I've been doing remote, um, writing research. My, my meetings at Harvard have been moved to zoom because, um, Harvard, when we received that message on March 10, they just quickly transitioned in all into remote learning.
0: Hmm.
1: So um, so that's where I started in March 10. But actually, looking back and thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about, uh, with what happened to me during this whole COVID crisis is um, actually, I left the country to go back to Canada in Toronto for a conference. Yeah, And um, It wasn't very significant to me until I started reading more about the racialized notions of COVID. Um, So I'm visibly Asian. And when I, in and out of the Toronto airport, a lot of people were just asking, were taking me to the side and asking, were you in China? Had you been in contact with people from China? And I I get it. It was like a protocol that the agents were supposed to enact. But it just... You know anyone could have been in China at that time even white people so but every time they would pull me aside multiple times in one hour I'd look back and see who else was in line behind me and they didn't ask people who didn't look like me those very questions you know so so I think that kind of racialized profiling had already started in February I just kind of willfully ignored it yeah but, um,
0: and they, these were all security people or, or, homeland yeah, the security TSA, people? yes,
1: yeah, TSA agents. And, um, oh my God. but like, I, I don't know how to default this because maybe they were just being told what to do and how to be preventative. But, you know, as you know, things are more complicated and delicate than that. And even if they were following orders, maybe there's a question of how can you perform it with more compassion right you know so but these are things i grapple with a lot of times because um it's even hard for me to go grocery shopping i got called a a chink when i was running in my neighborhood and oh my god and you know and but i'm wearing a mask so i don't even know how they know what i look like i don't unless they already know who i am i don't so so these being trapped in my house is actually quite nicer than having to kind of fear going out with those mundane activities that I used to do. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say really. The person who that.
0: the person who called you out while you were running were, were mm-hmm. was it just somebody standing on the sidewalk or was it
1: No, it was um so it was an older I think the figure was a man. And it's an older man and he was just driving. I was passing this laboratory research site. Um this may be... 10 minutes from my house. And um, he just kind of he had no mask on. I had a mask on and he just yelled out chink to me.
0: Oh my god. Yeah. And then
1: drove off. And I um, just I'm not I don't know if I feel scared, just more so that I'm disappointed. Yeah. That, you know, I there are times that I've encountered kindness here when, because I'm I actually live in Watertown. Um, but it's closest to Cambridge, and by default, we have to listen to uh, um, the governor and not our own mayor. But, you know, even when there are moments of kindness, I think of these little moments that uh, it's just like othering me and maybe trying to say something about blame. I'm not sure. but
0: Yeah. Has your, what have you heard from your, your mother? Is she, she's living in, is she in Montreal? Where is she based?
1: Oh no, she so I was born and raised in Arkansas and so she has a house in Arkansas. Oh but wow. She she lives half the time in Delaware because my brother has a he's raising a very young family. Yeah. And so some I would say she lives there half the time at his in his big house with the four four kids under the age of ten. So she's helping to raise them. And um she it's very interesting to talk to her because Her native language is Vietnamese and she tries to watch um, English news, but most of the time she will watch the Vietnamese news channels. So they're translating. I think they're based in California. And so she'll listen to what they have to say and then she try and, you know, they're translating the news as it happens. Yeah. And then every night that she calls me, she'll always say the same thing. She always asks me, are you are you scared? Are you worried about getting sick? And I'm not sure how to respond to that yeah. because I, you know, at at one point we thought, you know, young people aren't, they're not susceptible to the COVID, but it turns out that maybe they are. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how to comfort my mother. Yeah. And so we try, I try to engage with her. What, what I, what I think I know and what she thinks she's understood and it becomes Kind of a sad conversation thereafter because she's like, I don't know when I'll see you again. I don't know when I get to go back to Arkansas because I have two other sisters who live there. Mm. And and she's, I don't know. She keeps up with a lot of the horrific racialized incidents with Asian Americans. You know, right. like uh, the, in, in in is it in New York that a lady, an Asian woman, got acid thrown in her face? Oh my god. So she'll tell me these headlines, and it prevents her from wanting to enjoy life and right. going out. And she can't; she doesn't even want to leave the house. And my brother has a big yard, you know, and she just doesn't feel like she feels like she'll get sick even just stepping outside the house. And yeah, and I don't know how else to comfort her. Yeah, well, so. and
0: I'm I'm sure growing up in the deep south, you guys surely experienced a a bit of racism in yeah. in her day, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's just, but it's so different because in Arkansas, the economy has already opened and here um, our governor announced on March 18, different phases of went to open the economy and it started last Monday. Yeah. Um, But in Arkansas, when I talked to my sister, I don't even know if things had been closed because churches were still In session.
0: Oh my god. Yeah.
1: It's just a completely different culture. And I'm not surprised by it, but I just think the responses by each state and what mandates have been regulated, I think it's just been all over the place. And I think that's very indicative of how how we how people from particular parts of the world have translated news and and their understanding of what what it means to be concerned about your public health or how to be civic minded.
0: Yeah. I wondered uh, just for, for some, some context, I wonder if you could describe what it's been like in, in the Boston Cambridge area and how all of this is, what, what it's been like living there during this, this shutdown up there, how Mm -hmm. it was handled, how it rolled out, all that.
1: So March 10, I'll just, it's just March 10 is the day that I just begin my knowledge of understanding COVID. But um, I would say that Massachusetts at large has been quite quick to respond to what should happen and maybe what needs to happen. But even the regulation of um, stay at home, it's it's worded very carefully that they're not making impositions that you get to decide, but they they say things like, you know, it's safer if you, social distance or you stay six feet apart or you yeah. don't go out. But so, so I think I understand the, the language that's being used that maybe they're uncertain what could be the consequences, but they choose to be on the safer side. Right. Yeah. But as a result, I think, I mean, it's pretty quiet in Watertown, but we're Massachusetts isn't immune to those um, protests about opening up the economy. It's happened yeah and um what i've noticed too i my partner i keep up with the local news monday through friday just because we want to see how things are being discussed so what i noticed interesting is that we have um the boston mayor marty walsh so he makes decisions and i'm not sure if he and our governor they actually communicate things because sometimes the governor contradicts what Marty Walsh will say. Yeah. So I'll I'll give you an example. Mm. Marty Walsh declared a public health emergency in March 15, and he didn't say that restaurants and bars had to be closed. He just said it had to work under limited capacity, under limited hours, and people needed to respect, I think it was 25 heads in an establishment. But the next day, Baker said that all bars and restaurants have to operate under takeout and delivery yeah. only options. So you can kind of see the
0: the confusion me, and especially yeah, like as like, a business yeah. owner just try like a restaurant owner in town trying to figure out how to make yeah. that work. Yeah.
1: That's crazy. So it's been and then when my partner and I only go we, we order food from two restaurants in our neighborhood and um there's one that we frequent quite often is um owned by thai a thai friend and family community yeah and um when i went to pick up some food i asked the uh, the front of house employee um how do they keep up with the changing mandates and stuff like that because every time we go in it looks completely different like they barricaded the you can't go more than just to pay for your food you can't even see the kitchen area and that was a new thing and she said that for our businesses in Watchertown, they get updates by phone calls. So like they, or like a fax, they they just get regular updates from the town. Huh. But I wouldn't I wouldn't know that as just someone who doesn't own a business, you know? Right. So right. that's maybe that's that's a good way to handle it. But she said that everything else, like the PPP loan, she's had to look it up herself that no one gave her guidance on how to um Ask for assistance or aid so yeah. all that was on on the business owners so, so I don't know
0: yeah and it's has it been have you seen or do you see a lot of people out on the street is it pretty dead is it you know how, how seriously do your neighbors seem to be taking all of this?
1: so I live next door to two very old ladies I think they grew up in the house they they, they split out their house. They don't go out often, but I know they're okay when I see them take out their trash and and um, recycle
0: yeah. it. And
1: then promptly take it back in. And sometimes when I do catch them, I'll ask them, do you, should, do you need me to do anything for you? Run to the grocery store and stuff like that. Right. And they say that they have all that handled because they have um, an, a niece who helps check on them. But um, I think they just try to avoid leaving the house at all. But um, our neighbor is actually target that's my joke because we can walk less than five minutes to get to the target <laughs> and, and that's target is, it's just it's always busy i we can literally see their their parking lot yeah. every day it's just a bunch of cars and um you know the chaos might not be on the street but it's definitely inside and there are times that we've chosen to go to target because we couldn't find it at the local Armenian store that we also frequent. Yeah. And we've had, they, you know, they have their lines outside with, for limited capacities and stuff like that. But when we're inside, I don't even know if people practice social distancing or six feet. Like we all have our mask on, but everyone's kind of overcrowded each other. We, I mean, I always, I'm always trying to be diligent and not touch people, but then I end up falling on something because I'm, someone's behind me or they don't say anything. And it's just, you know, we have these mandates, but I, I don't, I don't see people at target following them. And I don't blame the employees because they're trying as best as I can. But right. I don't think, I don't think we should assume that target employees are the ones that had to police people. I think, you know, this is part of what I think when we're being civic minded is can we, how do we actually practice these measures? If we, we say that we do, and I just think it's a very imperfect system. And it, and these are things that I think about when when people are saying like, oh, you know, it's good for your public health, and the science shows that. I think, well, who are the scientists, and are you actually able to commit to those measures? If if because I don't see it happening at Target at all.
0: Right. What are the rollout plans for for the Boston area? Have, have they started reopening anything, or is it is it still? Yeah.
1: So the phase one happened last Monday. So it's it's more of like the what was going on during the safe at home. But now um Charlie Baker kind of changed the language. He's he's saying it's safer at home. So you know there's a bit of a nuance there. So he's saying like you know, things may be different, may not be, but but we're gonna try to see what happens. So the the first phase that happened last Monday is just more the um, of course, the grocery stores and essential workers have their businesses, but yeah. he's at, he's added manufacturing and construction and houses of worship as part of the first phase. Hmm. And so every there are four phases. I don't know where he learned this phase plan language, but but every phase, the subsequent phases are contingent on the successes of the first phase. Right. Is that yeah. So I think today we're supposed to be expecting office and hair salons and um pet grooming services
0: oh, wow. yeah. to be
1: reopening. And I think the most interesting for to me is that um the last phase is called like the new normal. And this is contingent on if you know there's a vaccination or things get better. Right. That's the last phase. And I, I just think that it sounds very aspirational and and hopeful, but I, I don't, I don't know if it's too soon to think about this fourth phase as the new normal, whatever that might be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so restaurants and stuff haven't opened up indoor seating yet for you guys yet?
1: No, not yet. I think that's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be, that's more of the last, I think it's supposed to be open this week, but it's very contingent on how well can we do phase one successfully? Yeah because they're still operating it's just i think i think people want to be able to eat inside i guess right that's a concern but i think it's limited to 10 heads yeah if if it were to reopen
0: so what is what is your plan what do you think like when will you be comfortable going back into a restaurant or going you know to just do regular errands kind of thing
1: yeah i for a while I, i just didn't want to deal with people so I would make, ask my partner to go pick up the groceries while I wait for him. But um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not very optimistic. Yeah. And I've even talked to my new friend who works at the pho restaurant that I frequent. Right. She, she, she's, she's, she's very positive, but she'll say some, Things that indicate that she's not sure if restaurants, not just the one that she's working at, the smaller ones, will they even be able to survive after this? Because she's just convinced that people don't want to eat inside, and that's most of the her, the traffic for mm-hmm. their restaurant was dining in, not so much dining out. Right. And um, she said they're trying the best that they can with you know the constant changes, of regulations, and mandates, but
0: how long can you hold on with that yeah you know yeah it's just having so much of your business cut out yeah
1: yeah and so i i would want to support the local businesses as best as i can but i'm not convinced that i can just go in and expect not to worry about um being contagious to someone or someone being contagious to me you know yeah and and i think what i think the third phase is um be vigilant and actually i think we should always be vigilant it's just i'm not sure how that's comforting to someone who owns a small business that's operating currently in really small margins
0: right yeah how much of your concern personally to to go out and 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 you know, open yourself back up to society, how much of mm-hmm. that would you say is based around the virus itself? And how much do you think mm-hmm. is based around the racial component of of what uh, you've experienced?
1: So I, I, despite my reservations and operating under the assumption that someone's going to be unkind to me, I still do my running i lot I allot three days a week for me for me to run about 30 45 minutes each time and um i just i tell myself well you know this is for me having some sort of exercise and being able to go outside is a is a trade-off for me and i don't think it should be that way but it's just i don't trust that people are considerate of my emotions and you know and yeah. concern so but it's not even just racialized violence. I just, I get, I don't know what is wrong with people when they whistle or heckle at me yeah. when I'm running. I'm sweating, I'm red, and like half my face is covered. So I'm not sure what they're whistling at. I just, I just, but that happens almost on a daily basis. I don't feel unsafe yet because most of the time my partner's behind me when he is running with me. So, so I have that, but I just, in times of crisis, we would expect each other to be more considerate and humane and show compassion, but I rarely see that in my case. Yeah, and I just—I don't even think it's the COVID. I just think it's people just being really ugly people, and it's and they, they can use COVID as an excuse, but I just think that there's no reason to heckle a woman jogger, you know, And right. especially when I just, but it's. I don't when i say that i just i do it despite that it's just i don't know how else to live at this time right You know. so even if my own options are limited i go out knowing that maybe someone will do something stupid or say something unkind to me but i just yeah what, I'm, I'm not sure what other options i have
0: does that keep you from just like going for a walk in the park or just you know going out a walk just to get out of the house or anything like that
1: so i joke to my partner that i'm pretty i'm pretty lucky that i have stayed, stayed kind of i mean it doesn't sound like it but i think i'm a very positive person well <laughs> <laughs> we're dealing
0: with negative subjects of course
1: <laughs> so i am um, i don't i even when we want to go out for a walk we we just kind of go downstairs and sit on the back porch yeah because i just I feel like if I took the time and space to run for thirty minutes, and maybe that's it, but someone else should get that time and comfort because already I'm all, my partner, and I get a lot of dirty looks when we're running, even though we try to make space for them. We run into the road, we have our masks and most of the time these people don't have masks on, but I and you know, I get it. We're supposed to be surveilling each other. We're supposed to be social distancing experts, but I just, I just, we, we try to do it so that we we get out for a little bit and then we come home. And if we need a break, we just step outside. That's just kind of our logic. I don't know if it makes sense, but it just seems if we've cared about other people and their care and need for a space. And that's just how it is for now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What have, what have y'all been doing to, to stay sane, cooped up for so long?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, we have, we, um, so our house is, is, um, is split into two apartment units and sometimes we don't know our, our downstairs neighbor very well, but, um, well, we'll talk to him. We, um, we've been lucky that everywhere we live, people have wanted to eat my baked goods. And so that's always been nice for me just to <laughs> give away some baked goods and, you know, just have right. some sort of compassion towards each other and kindness. And, um, but we've been cooking, We've been cooking a lot. If we maybe not together because our space is so small, but it's just it's just we don't do anything remarkable. It's just get out, work out, work, and cook, watch a lot of TV, read some books. But um, that but that was what it was for me, you know, before COVID. Except that I worked a couple of days a week. I went to Harvard a couple of days a week, so. I, but that's why i mean that i'm i'm lucky that not nothing big has changed it's just
0: yeah i feel I like have for, a rhythm. i feel like for most of us that have that have written for a living it's uh this was kind of just like oh the rest of the world's operating yeah. at our speed now i see yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah i just i'm i think like anyone else we hope for better things it's just we're not sure when that would be and and i'm not sure if even if COVID were to miraculously pass uh, I still wouldn't get racialized epithets slurred at me or or that I could run without being heckled you know I just
0: yeah yeah it's it's interesting because I was you know like we opened up um this week at the, in Asheville or this past weekend in Asheville yeah. and uh we had you know the restaurants are allowing limited seating the we haven't opened bars yet, but breweries and wineries have mm-hmm. reopened. And it's all with this requirement of social distancing, you know, like kind of police mm-hmm. yourselves kind of social distancing. Yeah. And while a lot of venues are requiring masks to go in, they're just all these, you know, they passed by one brewery the other day. And there were probably 75 people in line outside this brewery. And they're just all holding their masks in their hands. <laughs> you know, holding? Know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, they'll put them on when they go in in the door, but they're not wearing them outside. And, you know, we're, we're a big tourist town. People come from all over to visit here Mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody's been, uh, there's all these out of state plates. It's it's, downtown's been full and packed. The brewery patios are packed Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, it's, it's like the, it's like the kids that peed in the pool have now wandered over to your end of the pool, you know, and you're just like, come on.
1: (laughs) So, our um, our governor here said that you absolutely have to wear a mask if social distancing isn't, you can't practice it, or that you, or you're in close contact with other people. But our, this is when our mayor even put it, advanced it even further. He said that everyone has to wear a mask, even joggers, and, and if you don't, we fine you $300. Did you, has that happened Oh, wow. Where you're at. Yeah. No. Like, there's actually I, a fight involved.
0: I don't think there's any teeth on the requirements here. I don't think there's any any enforcement teeth on them. But uh, I know a lot of local businesses are really standing by those rules. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I will say in Asheville, I think most of the locals have taken this very, very seriously. But it seems mm-hmm. like most of the people that are opposing it are are from coming from out of town or from just outside the city. But, yeah, mm-hmm. that's... Um, I mean that's good that he actually put some teeth in those laws though.
1: <laughs> but the funny thing is when we watched that press press briefing, we didn't know what that meant for us in Watertown. So we actually took the time to look look it up. Yeah. And but if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have known and we could have been fined, you know. So and we even went downstairs to talk to our neighbor. I think I was giving him something and I think my partner mentioned it to him. And he just—he also jogs now because our gym shut down. Um, and he said, "How would I have known this?" And but that's like, but that's been always this issue of who gets to say what and how does it get relayed to the citizens and then what? What are the differences? So, um,
0: yeah, it's been a very like every community for itself kind of model yeah, <laughs> since there's yeah. no like national plan for anything and uh huh? it's it's just been kind of baffling because every community is handling it so differently and uh i
1: have a, yeah. I have a question for you jonathan is are there a lot of, do you see a lot of cops around in Asheville? yeah a good bit
0: um yeah. ashville actually has a pretty high crime rate for the, its yeah, size okay. and so yeah you do see a good bit of cops on patrol and uh Yeah. And I've seen a lot walking around the city, like even when everything was shut down. And I wondered if that was because most of the people left on the street with the city shut down is is mostly homeless people and and street people. Oh, I see. Yeah. I was wondering if that was part of it. But yeah. How about Mm -hmm. what's it looking like in in your area?
1: Well, so the parks, they've shut down to discourage people from entering, you know. But um, when I used to jog around there, there always used to be two cop cars in and out of the park but I don't see them so much anymore because I don't run in that area but I've noticed that there are two cop cars that are parked near the there's a park that I run by and then there's one close to an assisted living they're just always parked there whenever I'm um, jogging in that area Hmm. so I don't know if they're seeing if people are not wearing a mask or not but yeah, it's just. I think that's just been part of my everyday sightseeing. When I when I do run, I always and I can and I recognize the cop faces, you know. Right. So, but I don't know if they actually find anyone because I've seen plenty of people who don't wear masks. But
0: are the cops wearing masks? No. That's what's baffled me here is I've not seen a single cop wearing a mask yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. Maybe they think their badges are masks. I don't know. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know, but that that's what I mean. Like. I find it so strange that people give me dirty looks when I'm jogging with a mask on, and they're, the very ones aren't wearing one. So I'm not sure what they're upset about exactly. <laughs> but I'm jogging,
0: <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's very odd.
0: Anna Nguyen is the editor of Crust. You can read her work at her webpage, ILostMyAppetite.com. Anna also contributed a story to the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, and you can listen to it. Just look for our season two, episode number 15. Also, a couple times in here, Anna accidentally referenced the mayor of Watertown as Mayor Baker. Watertown actually doesn't have a mayor. They have a city manager, Michael Driscoll. But we did some Googling, and what she says about the data conveyed by city manager Driscoll checks out. I suggest we just chalk this up to a slip of the tongue. Anna actually sent me a message catching the mistake long before I even had a chance to listen to or fact check our episode. Which I should clarify is something we actually do here. Hence why you hear us make corrections here at the end of the show from time to time. These interviews are long conversations, meant to capture people's experiences in their daily lives, and we shouldn't expect them to get every name, date, or statistic correct right off the cuff. I mean. I'm not expecting myself to do that, so why should I expect my guests to? That's why we appreciate you sticking around to the end of the show, where we can catch and correct anything that might have curved foul. Home Fried is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, manages our website and our marketing, and keeps the gears greased around here. To catch the latest episode of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, be sure and tune into 103.7 WPVM the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. You can also catch back episodes of the show and stream any of our podcasts, check out the artwork from our contributing artists, or support us through our Patreon at our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. We'll be back with new episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday, with occasional episodes on Saturdays. To subscribe, just search for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume on the Dirty Spoon. Be safe.